Oh, she's done it. Brilliantly executed. Incredible stuff. The whole family are watching on in anticipation. And yes, there's the final nail in the chicken coop. Dad's been promising to build for a decade. And don't the kids just love it. Coming in for the final turn. He's gone to the left, a little bit to the right. Dodged the hills hoist. Grass clippings flying in his wake. Precision mowing doesn't get any better than that. They've really set their sights high for this one. A pizza oven, water feature and a new deck all by the end of lockdown. But is it too much too soon? Only time will tell. He's a do-it-yourself legend in the making. Welcome to the sport of gardening for Cyclone Tools built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. Here's your hosts, Dale Vine and Jane Neal. And it's great to have you back with us on The Sport of Gardening. Of course, we started this show in the midst of COVID-19 lockdown 2020 when there was barely any sport to speak of. I think the racing industry were the only ones that got through. And, Dale, we quickly found out that there's a lot of sports people that love their DIY and love their gardening. Yeah. Oh, Jane, I reckon there's uh, half the AFL out there from who we've spoken to so far are all closet gardeners. So um, I think it's one of those things that sporty people enjoy. In most sport games are outside, obviously, through Australia anyway. So it's a connection they've already sort of got um, with a lot of footy grounds and, and cricket grounds. So, yeah, it doesn't take too much of a stretch to assume that they enjoy Uh, being out on grass as well. Well, we are going to speak to someone today who has taken his love of the old turf at the MCG to a totally different level. Yep. He's a pro mower. His name is Gary Lyon, of Uh course, an AFL legend. We're going to catch up with Gary in just a moment and find out whether he really has made his own golf course at his uh, place. We're also going to be getting some expert advice about mushrooms from environmental photographer and fungi expert Alison Puglio. There is a whole lot of fungi growing on a whole lot of nature strips around Melbourne from what I've seen. I'm sure your place has got a, a little yeah, bit no, of a we've fungal got a reserve. issue. <laughs> we've got a reserve near our house and, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of... Um, some form of mushies popping up there, so I'll have to ask about that. They could be toadstools and they could be highly toxic Ooh. to you and your pets. So we're going to get some expert advice on that. And we're also going to talk bonsai with Trevor from Bonsai Art. Dale's thrown this one on the rundown, so I'm assuming you're a little bit of a closet bonsai guy. Oh, no closet about it, Jane. I'm out and proud bonsai uh, grower and uh, have been doing it for many, many years. So I love it. So Trevor from Bonsai Art Nursery is going to tell us why he's so passionate about it and obviously shares that passion with Dale. And Dale's going to do another tool review as well. But now it is time for our weekly check-in, which did start during full lockdown. If you want to listen back to some of our previous guests on the show, if you've missed it live, you can catch up via the podcast. We've chatted with Terry Wallace, Sandy Roberts, Essendon's James Kelly and Jacob Townsend. We had Tim Watson on the show and Nigel Lappin. But today, it's a pleasure to have former AFL champion and captain of the Melbourne Football Club, Gary Lyon, joining us. Here's a reminder of his work. Ball spills for Gary Lyon, spins out of trouble and kicks the first goal of the game. Absolutely magnificent football by the Melbourne captain, Gary Lyon. Finds Lyon. He tries the big torpedo. It's a mammoth kick. It's into the square. It's home. Here's number 10 if he's accurate. And he is. Oh, this is some finals feat by Gary Lyon. Oh, there you have it. Some of the memories from Gary Lyon's illustrious career. We find him today. 
down near Arthur's Seat, nestled in the foothills, I believe, overlooking the uh, Port Phillip Bay down in uh, Melbourne's Mornington Peninsula. Gary Lyon, welcome to the Sport of Gardening. Of all the things I've done, I didn't ever thought I'd be doing this, that's for sure. How are you? (laughs) Yeah, good, mate. That's exactly what your counterpart on SEN Breakfast in Melbourne said, Tim Watson, when we spoke to him a couple of weeks ago about his uh, little vineyard down at his property. Nothing quite as uh, glorious as a vineyard here, um, but yeah, I've seen Tim's setup. Very nice indeed. I'm not sure he does much of the work down there, to be perfectly honest. I think he's got a couple of people that come in and do it for him, but he's got a very nice setup indeed. Well, he, he told us he rolls the sleeves up and gets amongst the weeds, Gaz, so I don't know if he was lying or. Uh... Um, yeah, he was underselling it a bit, I think. But yeah, he's a bit loose with the truth, there, Dale. I don't worry about that, mate. He's, um, maybe his beautiful wife, I think, gets in there and helps him out. I'm sure time. he. I'm sure he goes hard when he um, drinks the product. Anyway, hey, um, yeah, well, guys, I wouldn't know. He hasn't shared it with me, I hasn't he? Like it. Oh, no. no, he hasn't. Oh, that's not a very co-host-like scenario. Hey, mate, uh, you've done a bit with your own property there. You've got a bit of lawn, Jane tells me, um, and we've also been talking to your son, Ben, in here who reckons you are dead set um, full on with your lawn maintenance and, and you love a bit of lawn mowing. <laughs> I do, I do. I, I find it uh, therapeutic and I don't, I'm not joking. I've got a, I've got a zero-turn mower that I do around uh, the property, around the house, and that takes me probably... I don't know, start to finish five hours. And yeah. then um, I've got the tractor and I've got this sort of uh, mulcher on the back and uh, I've knocked up these very rough three golf holes and that can take me a little bit longer than that. So I still put the headset on and um, away I go. I find it very relaxing and the day can go very quickly when I'm on the mower. Yeah. Gary, I wonder as a former footballer though, is it the smell of cut grass, you know, after all of those years of having your face driven into the turf of the MCG, is there something about the smell or is it just the finished product? <laughs> um, no, I do love the smell of cut grass, no doubt about that, but um, I think it's the finished product. I mean, this the property here is, is uh, it's a pretty special place and got massive big gums and when when we bought it three years ago, it was sort of the area around the house was, was cleared but over the years I've just slowly taken it back a bit further and a bit further so it's now got a you know a pretty vast area and I don't know I'm a bit bit anal when I drive down when I drive in if I've been away for a week or so I hate seeing the you know the gum trees the, the different uh, leaves that have fallen or the branches that have fallen mm-hmm. so I spend a bit of time cleaning up cleaning all that sort of stuff up so no, I'm a bit, I don't know, it might be a Virgo thing, but actually I just see a bit of a gum tree drop over there. I'm oh, look out. The backpack bin on and the, the little pickup rake, and off he goes. No, Gaz, you're not alone there, mate. I think uh, a lot of people, well, it's called taking pride in your uh, in your yard. So it's a Aussie thing, so don't feel ashamed about that. No, not ashamed. In fact, um, pride, proud um, is the word. It's um, When people come here, they... They do uh, look at me and say, how many people have you got to mow your lawns? And when I tell them it's just me, they can't quite believe it. But yeah. again, um, again, for me, five or six hours on a mower is uh, you know, podcasts and all the different things. So I was going to say, you get a few tricky. tunes in in five hours. You'd, uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big music man, though, but yeah. I, I do love listening to podcasts and 
they've been a revelation. So uh, I even listened to Hutchie and Damo, which I know Jared's got has a big input on. I even listened to their podcast. Oh, so and that one's the sounding board. Thank you for the absolute plug for that one. <laughs> hey, is the name of the little golf course you've got, I, I hear varying reports that it's everything. You said three holes. I've heard reports it could be nine holes. Is it really called Buckle Rib? Yes, it is. And that's... Um, <laughs> That's a tribute to. I, I we were talking one day. We talked a bit of rubbish on our show, and I was talking about an injury I got, and I buckled my rib, which Tim thought was hilarious. It wasn't at the time. It was one of the most painful things I've ever done. It's where your rib cage kind of bends and buckles, but it doesn't break. Yeah. And so I have this sort of a, as a um, an old war wound. I've got this big sort of knot on my ribs where they did it. But Tim thought that was hilarious. We talked about it often, and. He named the course Buckled Ribs, so that's what it is. At least you got an excuse for any wayward shots that um, don't (laughs) quite go to the green there, mate. How far is it? So is it a hole on each corner of the property or something like that? Is it, Gaz? No, so I've got, um, just looking at it now, so down the the sort of uh, the northern end, there's a a straight par three, which is uh, about 120 metres, then there's a... I call it a par four, a dog leg, slight dog leg left through yeah. two dead gum trees, which is about 220. Yeah. And then back up the hill is a little two, probably 200 par, another par four. But you have to go, you can take it on, you can go straight over the gums, but you've got to be a bit Well, I love a bit of an that. obstacle, yeah. <laughs> and what about, a, what about a bunker? You got a sand bunker in there or is that to come? No, believe it or not, I did. Uh, with this wet weather, I got the bucket on the tractor and I took a bunker out, so I needed delivery of sand ah. before the opening, and um, there is a little, a little trap there on the third hole. So the, the irony of all this, though, is I'm a shocking golfer. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you got the rib, mate. you got the buckled rib. Well, we'll see. We'll wait and see when you have that little golf tournament there if people come back reporting that the... Um, the bunker looked like it was sand from Dramana or bloody McRae <laughs> <McCray> Beach. <laughs> you know what, to believe it or not, um, whilst we're talking about this, um, the great people down here on the peninsula, the, one of the greenskeepers at the National Golf Club texts through the show while we're on it. And he said, I'll come out and have a look at your golf course and give you a hand if you want. Oh, so he's actually out. coming out the Savo. So oh, well, there you go. I walked the course and yeah. worked out what needs to be done. Oh, oh, I wonder if he's going to have a bitten lip after that experience, just going, I should tell Gary that that is not quite how you do it. I, I reckon he'll have some good advice, <laughs> yeah, it'd be, though. there would be a lot of that. No worries about that. Hey, Gary, you're a country boy at heart. Where did you grow up? Like, was gardening in your your childhood? Did mum have a veggie garden? Were your grandparents farming or, or on the land? I think gardening is a bit of a stretch for me, to be honest. I'm just a lawnmower. <laughs> I don't know if I'm much of a gardener. I grew up in Kyabra uh, on a, on a old man. We had 15 acres and we had a trotting track and horse stables. So um, we used to spend a bit of time down the stables with the horses and we used to do a bit of driving. But no, I don't think there's any great gardening, Gene. I have got a veggie um, box around the corner. Well, not, no, it's more... Um, what do you call it? Rosemary and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. the herbs. Nikki does that. The herbs, yeah, yeah. The herbs, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, well, um, that's a good start. Yeah, that's a start. That's the extent of it at the moment. I won't pretend that I'm anything other than a lawnmower, really. Yeah. Mate, so what have you got growing as your um, golf um, green? Have you got cooch or do you know what sort of turf you got? No, I haven't. I haven't um, this, this started as just a muck around and... The way Tim talks about it, he thinks it's a gaster. Um, right. Just, just the, the lawn's been sh- shaved down a little bit lower than everything else for the greens. So right, pretty, yeah, well, that's still good. It's pretty agricultural. Although Sam today might think, might 
tell me otherwise, we might be able to put one in. But uh, no, this is pretty agricultural, mate. And, when uh, I, where I grew up in Owen, mate, the golf course there had greens that were red because it was that Ontikawa. What's that? What's that rock? That yeah, little red rock? Great. Yeah, yeah, and it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. So that was all right. You used to dig a, you could dig a hole with your finger into the hole and just. Exactly right, yeah, a little trench, a little trench from the ball to roll into the hole. (laughs) Hey, Gary, it's hard to believe that in a few days' time, footy will be back. What did you miss most when the 2020 AFL season was suspended? Not much, Jane, to be honest. I quite like being down here. I'm being absolutely frank. Um, But I must admit, as it gets closer, I'm looking forward to to, um, the game commencing. it's It's part of your ritual in the winter and for the first time ever. You sort of Friday, Sunday, Sunday comes around in the middle of winter and you sit down in front of the fire um, on a Friday night or a Saturday night, whatever the case may be, and there's no footy on. That's, that was a very un, unusual experience. So I'll be looking forward to having that back. And um, when we watch as much footy as we do, um, sometimes a little break away from it's not the worst thing, but um, I'm ready for it to come back. I think most are, mate. We've got a question written down here, which is, what's your favourite tool? But I think we already sort of covered that with your uh, zero <laughs> right on mower, which is basically all you use. BT Taylor's been chucking up a few funny vids in isolation of uh, his tool shed and all the rest of that, which we've been having a laugh about in here. So maybe it's yeah. uh, your turn to do a few tricks or something on the on the mower, mate. Ooh, I could do that, although I have, well, my chainsaw's the other thing I'm pretty proud of. Oh, yeah. I've got a nice steel chainsaw that I get out, and we've got so much, um, so many trees here, um, 50 acres, and you go down the back of the block, and there's you know, trees that have fallen over, so I've got the fire here. So I spend a bit of time chopping wood, uh, good. getting out, and I love the splitter. I love getting the, Ooh, yeah. the splitter and just whacking into it. And um, So a good exercise, get a good sweat up, and, you know, um, people often just drive in, and after I've been working for two hours, take all the fruits of my labour, so I'll start again. <laughs> That's how it works with wood splitting, mate. It doesn't last long. Well, no, it does not. Gary, thank you so much for joining us Thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait to see Buckled Rib in action uh, down there on the Mornington Peninsula. Footy will be back, so all will sort of return to normal. I just hope you have enough time to continue with the mowing so we don't start to see some shaggy ends on the uh, no, the front yard. That will not happen, Jane. We can work remotely these days, so I'm going to spend more time down here than otherwise would have been the case. Um, gardening show ticked off the bucket list. Thank you very much for coming in. <laughs> no. Thank you Thank so you, much. Mate. Gary Lyon there on the sport of gardening. Of course, all thanks to Red Energy. They're owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. Still to come on the show, we are going to talk bonsai. And in just a moment, we're going to find out how you can identify some of the fungi you might have seen popping up in your garden. Mm. It's all coming up on The Sport of Gardening. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening for cyclone tools built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. Real estate, cooking, parenting, home design. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series. Available wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app. Welcome back to the Sport of Garden with Dale Vine and Jane Neal.
And it's great to have your company on the sport of gardening. Still so much to get through on the show today, but I am a little bit of a fungi lover. I'll admit, Dale, fungi, love it because it includes everything from, you know, the mushrooms that I love to eat to just beautiful fungi I love to look at in the forest. What's your relationship with fungi like? Uh, well, every now and then, Jane, I have to sprinkle some powder on my toes, but um, <laughs> no, no, fungi is, uh, I love eating mushrooms, I can tell you that much. I made a good beef stroganoff the other night and uh, had a heap of those button mushrooms on there. But no, I, as a kid, we, we foraged a little bit um, around the Oyen area. There was a, a paddock area that everyone knew had a few good edible mushrooms. So, But apart from that, I, I don't know too much. Well, mushrooms and fungi have been in the headlines uh, recently. It seems to be quite an incredible season. They're popping up all over suburban gardens and on nature strips. Here's just a a little of the coverage that we've heard this season. The soggy and humid conditions have prompted a warning about wild mushrooms. Health chiefs saying toxic fungus can look very similar to edible mushrooms. They're urging foragers to avoid gathering wild sprouts because two of the most commonly found types are poisonous. Eating the death cap mushroom can cause liver and kidney damage and can even be fatal. Now, unfortunately, we have seen some people get very, very mm. sick and there has been cases in Australia over the last few years where people have sadly died. So I thought we needed an expert for this topic, yes. Dale, because people have been asking me, well, which ones can I eat? Because yep. I do forage myself. So we are now joined by Alison Puglio. She is a fungi expert. She's an environmental photographer. Alison, welcome to the Sport of Gardening. Thank you very much, Jane. Hello. Now, I must reveal the fact that I have done one of your fungi identification workshops shops, Alison. I think it was uh, in a little town called Creswick out near Ballarat. And you stunned me that day, Alison, because I think I'm a farm girl. I grew up like Dale obviously did foraging mushrooms. You gave us a basket and said, tell me which ones are edible. And I would have actually poisoned myself, Alison, because some of the ones I thought were just your old farmyard sort of yeah. mushrooms were actually toxic. Am I the only person getting a little bit confused? Look, I think you must have very good identification skills, Jane, because you're still with us, most importantly. Yeah. And I think the, the thing is, with that basket of mushrooms I passed around, it actually was nothing that's going to kill you, but it might have made you feel like you were going to die because they can give you terrible stomach upset and gastrointestinal distress. But I think what is people think that mushroom identification is easy. It just requires a cursory glance or you know, a superficial familiarity, but we have to very systematically work through all those diagnostic features, including where it's growing, what it's growing in, what it's growing with, and then to look at the features of the morphology or form of the mushroom, and including things like the texture and smell as well, it's not just what we look at. So I think what it's about is, as with anything we do in life, like I think if we just take that superficial approach approach, then you obviously increase your level of risk and the chance of being poisoned. But if you know what you're doing, you know what to look for, you have some basic skills and you apply them to every mushroom you see, then you'll be fine. Well, actually, after doing that workshop with you, Alison, I was a little bit freaked out by the thought that I <laughs> thought I knew more than I did. So I actually only now forage the saffron milk cap or a pine mushroom. They're bright orange. If you cut them, they have this sort of orangey sap and it's almost impossible to mistake them from 
another mushroom. Is that kind of a safe way to do it, is to maybe just really narrow down what you might pick? Look, I think that's a great approach. You're always better to know just a few mushrooms really well than to know many mushrooms superficially. And the reality is most foragers don't eat dozens of species. They're happy just to go out and collect two or three species. And the one you mentioned is about the best one you can start with because it has lots and lots of very distinctive and obvious diagnostic features. As you said, there's such a noticeable colour. You mentioned the fact that they grow in association with pines, so you know straight away you're not going to find that out in the bush, but also that it produces that orange sap-like latex, as you said. They're very distinctive features, and it's much easier to recognise a saffron milk cap than it is a field mushroom. Mm. So the field mushroom is very easily confused with a more common species known as the yellow stainer or Garicus ansidermis. And unfortunately, that one pops up in areas where there's high population density, what we call ruderal environments. So disturbed environments like nature strips, track edges, gardens, compost heaps, nature strips, those sorts of places. So that one is very commonly encountered compared to the field mushroom, which is why it causes most poisonings in Victoria each year. So I think you're on a good wicket there, Jane, sticking to the the saffron milk cap for sure. I reckon I've got some of those um, ones that pop up from your mulch throughout my garden, actually, which is they're an orange colour as well. So we'd never eat them, but um, I always kick them over in case one of the kids or the dog comes along and gets curious. So. Oh, that's a shame, Dale. You can't kick a mushroom because you know what happens, don't you? No, what 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 you dies? Think... Fairy or something? Well, what happens is no, no. It's not about it. The fairies can die, but worse, you'll come back not as a mushroom, but worse as a slime mold. Oh wow! That's what happens if you kick over? A... Oh really? Well, I've, got, <laughs> so I've got many lifetimes of coming back as slime molds. I think. I always used to think if a mushroom was brown underneath it was good to eat and if it was white then it was a toadstool sure and many of us were privy to these you know wonderful i think they're fabulous these adages or old wives tales or or ideas and i'm sure in the place that that arose that idea that if you can eat it if it's brown not if it's white maybe that was true in that one particular valley or one particular place but as soon as you translocate that knowledge to somewhere else, it doesn't apply. There's a yep. poisonous mushroom out there called the funeral bell that's mm, brown underneath. What a name. It'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It gives you a good hint. The funeral bell, the coffin, the coffin eat. mound, yeah. <laughs> death valley. So, um, <laughs> but I think, you know, for gardeners, I mean, yeah, it's wonderful being able to forage and you know, all these different fungi out there. But I think the bigger picture of fungi is not about the mushrooms itself. It's about the infrastructure that they provide yeah. in your garden, the fact that they're the, the great recyclers, that without them, all that organic matter actually wouldn't break down, those nutrients wouldn't be released for your plants in the garden. So I think that, you know, fungi are fascinating to see all these forms pop up above the earth, but where they become even more astonishingly arcane is when you go into the subterrain and recognise that without this architecture, without these, this fungal mycelium, that's the actual fungus proper, mm-hmm. in the soil, we wouldn't have recycling of nutrients. So I think that's the really exciting bit for gardeners and farmers and horticulturalists. So, so what are they actually doing? I don't know too much about them. So when a mushroom pops up, what, what's its purpose? What, what is it doing in your garden? Okay, so think of the mushroom as being like the organ of the organism in the same way that a plant has flowers, the reproductive part, and an animal has genitalia, the organ of the organism. So the mushroom is just the bit that holds, it's the container that holds the spores. So that's the reproductive part. But the actual fungus exists as this incredible tapestry or matrix of long white 
fibrous cells we call hyphae that collectively form the fungus mycelium. That's the organism itself. And basically what it do does is it courses through the soil or through the wood, the organic matter, and it secretes enzymes. This is how it gets its food. Mm-hmm. But in that process, it breaks down all those compounds like cellulose and lignin, which give wood its hardness, all that organic matter that's buried in the soil, it's only the fungi that can actually secrete the enzymes that break those down and make those nutrients yeah. biologically available to your plants. So they're wow. actually doing all of the recycling. I know it. I mean, this is a really exciting bit. I mean, they're the ones who are making the nutrients available. They're recycling all that matter in your soil. So I think that's the bit where fungi are really exciting to think that without them, you know, I mean, if the wood would never, ever break down. The plant, when a plant root is under the soil, it finds a bit of wood. It can't do anything with it. It yeah. can't access the nutrients locked up in that. So the fungi are absolutely vital. There you go. Well, actually, while you say that, that's pretty interesting because I've made a an arch um, out near our kids' cubby area and it sits within a... Um, a garden bed and it's just got like star jasmine growing over concrete mesh bent over the top of it but at the base of two of those um they're old recycled posts that i've just got from a yard that were getting thrown out because they'd been split and i use them as the post for this arch and um at the base of these posts have got mushrooms popping up from it so it must be um trying to bloody rot rot it down for me is it Looks sometimes fungi are a little bit indiscriminate. They don't recognise what's there for them to eat and what 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 are your objects that yeah. you might like for the kids' cubby house. But, <laughs> but that's exactly what they're trying to do. They've found this bit of wood. Bit of wood have come yeah. great. We'll break that down and turn that back into nutrients. Gonna bust this on Dale, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Alison, I think we've seen a lot of people walking because, of course, you know, previously a lot of people the only exercise you could do was walking during COVID nineteen lockdown. So, do you think that's helped people to suddenly? realise how much fungi is in their suburb or on that track that they might walk along? Like Our focus and our attention has suddenly come back to the surroundings we're in. I think you're absolutely right, Jane. I think this is one of the positive spin-offs of this whole situation is that people are out there walking. They're out in their parks or gardens or farms or whatever and they're noticing stuff. I mean, I must be getting 100 emails a week from people saying, what's this? Or, you know, what is this one doing? Or can I eat it? And that, to me, it's just so exciting that people are actually noticing these fungi and then some will go on to develop perhaps an aesthetic interest and start photographing them or perhaps a curiosity about what they're doing and how they can encourage fungi in their gardens and farms so it is an amazing time and I've never seen both the amount of interest but also the diversity and the abundance the sheer biomass and the amount of fungi out there in the environment this year is beyond anything I've ever seen in my life it's Mm. just astonishing yeah well we've got a little nature reserve at the end of our court and um, we have obviously been walking a lot down there uh, with the kids and the dogs and and as you said there there've been fungi popping up everywhere throughout there so that's underneath a lot of gum trees and right next to the walking track so and some of them are ginormous like they're uh, big white ones that are <laughs> that are absolutely like size of a dinner plate so <laughs> Yeah, well, and kids kids are so intrigued by them, and I think it's the you know the colours and these peculiar forms they have. Like they're not all the sort of umbrella shaped mushroom. There's all these other strange forms as well. And I think the fact that they're they're so ephemeral, they pop up, and then a day or two later they're gone again. I think that adds another level of interest and intrigue. And kids are so good at spotting them. You know, mm. they see the tiniest things that most of us walk by. So I think it's great you're getting the kids involved. So most of these ones that are popping up in say walking tracks and people's 
reserves and parks and things like that. Is is there many that we should like throughout the city and stuff that we should be like properly avoiding and not even touching at all just to have a look at? There's no fungi that you need to avoid. There's no such thing as bad fungi and good fungi. There's often this sort of, you know, dichotomy, which ones are good and which ones are bad. They're all good because they're all doing stuff in the environment. Some are just bad to eat. Yes. Some are bad to eat for, for homo sapiens. Some are deadly, such yep. as the death cat. So this one, of course, you want to be wary of, but it's it's still, there's no need to harm it or kick it over or remove it. I mean, of course, we need to have warnings out there for people who are particularly at risk, those who perhaps, you know, maybe have other mushrooms in their countries of origin that they could confuse them with. That's because we have different fungi here than elsewhere. So, of course, we need to have warnings. But we also need to keep that in perspective. You know, I mean, there's so few poisonings each year and there's so few fatal poisonings in our history from there's much more danger to forage in the bathroom cabinet where things like paracetamol and aspirin cause mm. way more poisonings each year than fungi. So we need to keep it in perspective. So there's actually no fungi. There's only one fungus I know of that you can't touch that grows in the tropics that potentially it can cause problems if you touch it. But you won't get poisoned from touching a mushroom. Even a death cap, you won't get poisoned. You always must wash your hands and never stick your fingers in your mouth or your nose or your ears or any other orifice because there will be a residual bit and there could be spores and bacteria and things. But this is an issue of hygiene, not one of toxicity. I see the difference. Like, it's not a problem. I always say to kids, touch them because they feel so amazing. You know, some feel like honey and some like leather and some like velvet and some like that tiny bit on a dog's nose where the the nose joins the head, you know, that really soft little bit. Their textures are just incredible. I think everyone's so pretty really safe at the moment, Alison, because the uh, because everyone's sanitising their hands after they touch anything at the moment still, so it's just habit these days, so <laughs> a couple of mushies won't hurt. I know. Dale and I have both got young children, so it actually you know, puts my mind at rest to yeah. think that it it is that curious nature that they want to touch it, but you know, as long as we're careful, wash hands and that, it's hopefully not going to cause any major issues. Alison, I wish we could talk about your photography as well, but what I'm going to do is recommend that people get onto your website, alisonpulio.com, and we'll have links in the podcast version of this because your your fungi photography is stunning. I'm so glad it's been a great season for you to get out there with the camera. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. That's really, really kind of you, and I so appreciate both your interest in in, in asking me to speak today. And any time at all, I'd love to talk to you. And can you do, uh, are you still doing workshops this year? Would you recommend, whether or not you're here in Victoria or anywhere around the country, there's usually an expert somewhere that can give you a bit of a guide to foraging. So would that be your first place to start if you were hoping to learn more about fungi and maybe even pick stuff you can eat? There's a couple of things you have to think about. It It is actually illegal to pick fungi on public land, so people need to be aware of that. You need okay. to be on private land, i.e. your own property or someone's farm. I mean, a lot of places like pine forests are actually privately owned, so you just need to be a little bit aware about the land you're on. Um, and certainly, look, there's lots and lots of places. If you go to fungimap.org, it's got a list of the local groups. So as far as I know, no one is actually running in situ workshops this year. And I think I'm the only one who's taken them online. But I've got, still got about another dozen left this autumn. So people are most welcome to join. And basically in those workshops, the idea is that people bring their mushroom along. So I'm not just a talking head telling people stuff. They actually have the mushroom in their hand. I tell them what to look for, what to smell for, what to feel for, and go through those diagnostic features and then they can get out on their own and and try and apply that. But it's a long process, you know, like learning about anything, whether you're a good gardener or a cook or a mechanic or whatever, it's a long lifetime process of accumulating knowledge and, you know, refining that knowledge. So as a forager, you always start with the toxic species, 
look at the toxic lookalike species that you could be confusing your edible one with. But certainly have a look at Fungi Map or have a look at my website and I'll be thrilled if people want to join us. That'd be great. And that website again is alisonpolio.com. And you're with Jane Neild and Dale Vine on the sport of gardening. And in a moment, we've got another tool review coming up. And we'll also be talking bonsai with Trevor from Bonsai Art Nursery. And the sport of gardening is all thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. Journalism icons Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin join forces in Don't Shoot the Messenger. There are women in the AFL who were really disappointed that not one woman was put on Gillian McLaughlin's Corona cabinet. Sport, food, life, news. This has exposed yet again how far America has not come in the racial battle. It is terrifying what is happening. Don't shoot the messenger podcast. You've got a pandemic that's killed 100,000 Americans, a large proportion of them being African Americans from low-income areas. You've got this incredible faulty justice system. You've got a really cracked healthcare system. You have a president who can't lead himself out of a paper bag. What's this week's favourite royal family photo? Queen on horse. Has she been back on the nag? Don't shoot the messenger podcast. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. Welcome back to the Sport of Garden with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. And we are talking all things gardening, whether you're listening to us via podcast or via SEN and SEN Track. On a Sunday morning, I'm Jane Neal, joined by Dale Vine, who has... Provided me with a little uh, food for thought this week. Suddenly the topic of bonsai came up, Dal. Yep. You're into this. Love so it, yeah. What appeals to you about bonsai? Uh, oh, a lot of things, Jane, but I suppose I was introduced to bonsai at a very young age from a, a grandpa of mine that gave me one when I was about six, um, killed it with love, <laughs> and uh, from there got better over the years. So, um, yeah, so I've, I've invited a, a connection of mine from the bonsai world, um, Trevor, who's um, out there at Bonsai Art Nursery um, out in Heatherton, um, and he's a knowledgeable man. He's a great bloke and uh, has a great nursery as well. Um, out there for those who are experienced in bonsai and those who want to get into it as well. So uh, welcome to the show, Trev. Now, Trev uh, Trev actually looked after some of my bonsais while I was on the block, Jane. I, I dropped him off to Trev for a couple oh, of months uh, while, while I was on the block and he... Uh, he babysat mine, so that's another service he offers out there, which is, uh, I'm sure you call it something different from babysitting, Trev, but that's what I called it when they were well, in there we with you. call it bonsai sitting. Bonsai sitting, there you go. <laughs> just to keep it simple. Exactly. So obviously Dale's got this uh, connection with bonsai since receiving a plant as a child. Why are you so into it, Trevor? Is this something that you've done for years or was it just a passion that gradually overtook your life to the point where you decided to buy a bonsai nursery? Oh, I was a qualified horticulturalist. I finished my apprenticeship in 1980 and uh, from there I went into bonsai and, and I started doing it full time in 1987. 
and I've been doing it since then. So it's, it's actually a long time for me now. So how would you it's, define um, the art of bonsai? I mean, your, your place is called Bonsai Art Nursery. Really, it is an art. It's a skill, isn't it? It's, it's not easy to create these incredible forms that we would normally you know, have come to mind when we talk bonsai. There's a lot of definitions for what bonsai actually is. To me, it's the art of shaping trees incorporating the characteristics of uh, very old and ancient trees, which have totally different characteristics to young trees. Yeah, so that's that's what I enjoy as well, um, being a landscaper, Jane, is the look of having like an ancient old tree. It's, you know, really thick in the trunk as well, but it's everything's just miniaturised into a, something so small. And you can even have landscapes with, um, you know, water aspects in there, um, rocks as mountains. Um, so you really can create a whole landscape um, per se um, in just a, a pot size. So it's, it's a really fun... Um, pastime for me and and I um, enjoy trying to create um, the look of something that's so ancient and old as Trev said um, in something that's uh, actually not quite so old. So how old is your oldest bonsai Trevor? Uh, Well I just sold it recently it was around about 140 years it was uh, but they're not necessarily worked on for all that time of course so often we start with trees that might be 80 years old and then we'll work on them for a number of years. So you can start with a seedling or you can actually get a mature tree. Do you have to have a small mature tree? I mean, an 80-year-old tree is going to be rather large, isn't it? Well, usually it is. It depends on how it's been grown. If it's a tree that's growing in the ground, yes, you can easily take it, though, and cut it right down. The sort of trees we use for bonsai are usually trees that respond well to being cut back hard. So they'll reshoot rather well. And you can create a, a new apex on the tree. So you can cut down a a 20-foot tree down to one foot, create a new apex and make it look like a totally natural small tree. I never knew that. I didn't know that you were getting older rootstock and and it could do that. What are your favourite varieties and and what are good for beginners, like simple ones that are going to respond fairly well? Most trees that are used for bonsai work are are actually pretty hardy just by the the very nature that they, they need to be able to be trees that will withstand... Um, being cut back hard, trees that will handle being in small pots well. But my favourites these days are the Satsuki azaleas, and this this is a whole new field to Australia. They're very different to the normal garden azaleas like Tarooms and Indicas. Satsuki are are well-known in Japan for doing bonsai um, and actually well-known in America and Europe. They've just never been brought to Australia, but we've uh, recently brought in a, a lot of new varieties and we now have, uh, currently we've got about 50 in production um, and they are just absolutely stunning trees um, with absolutely magnificent flowers. Yeah. Um, for beginners, though, you can't go past things like uh, junipers, Chinese elms, um, both very hardy and tough trees. Hmm. Yeah, they're all... And um... maples, of course. Yeah, exactly. And the the trees that um, also work well for bonsais are, are ones that can produce uh, smaller leaves as well, Jane. So it gives that effect of a, a tree that's been um, dwarf-sized, I guess, um, as this, as a small version of the big one. So my favourite would probably be the figs, I reckon. So maybe the, the Port Jackson and the, 
Morton Bay figs that are done uh, even in groups uh, look pretty cool. Dale. I like how they get a nice big thick trunk on them and uh, they can be shaped pretty easily as well. So just one of my favourites. And they have the added advantage that they'll tolerate going indoors quite well. Yeah, exactly. And the and the roots are also part of the feature as well as, um, as the trunks themselves. So, um, yeah, no, they're very cool. Hey, what are some of the things that people yeah. do wrong? Because I reckon I've probably bought four bonsais as gifts over the years. People are a little embarrassed to admit a couple of years later that they've killed, I'm thinking with kindness, but say say one of the figs. Mm. You know, what what do people do uh, wrong? Is it the same as our indoor plants? We overwater them and overlove them? Yep. That, 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 that is by far the, the greatest thing that people do wrong. They either actually overwater or underwater. Yep. Uh, these days, when people purchase a bonsai from us, we actually give them a watering demonstration. It, it, it's just so common that people do the wrong thing. For most trees, and, and this certainly applies to, to figs in particular, you should really allow the, the surface layer to start to dry out, just the first couple of millimetres, um, and then really thoroughly water it. Um, we get people we find all the time, they're misting their trees, and, and as you said before, they're over-caring for them, fussing over them, and yeah, they kill them with kindness. Really, that, that would be the biggest thing. Learn to water correctly. And the other one there, Trev, obviously is the fact that they're in uh, small, shallow pots, obviously, most of the time. And most of the time they are quite shallow too because it adds to the effect as well. Um, so, yeah, if yep. they're sitting in a sunny spot, obviously their roots are going to heat up and um, dramatically affect the plant pretty quickly on a very hot day, as you said. I think the big thing is when you first get a bonsai is to try and be observant. Actually look at it regularly, not necessarily water it regularly, but look at it regularly and see if it requires watering. If you're observant and you take note of the weather, for example, if, if it's a windy day, you know your washing's going to dry very quickly as compared to a, a still day. And same with your pot plants. And all pot plants, whether they be bonsai or not, will dry very quickly once you add wind to the equation. Um, so try and be observant. Notice what's actually happening around you uh, in your little microclimate and what the weather is like at the time and whether your plant has dried out or not. That will go a long way, Definitely. being observant. Now, Trevor, this is a show called The Sport of Gardening because, of course, uh, people do get a little competitive with their gardening and also a whole lot of sports people, as we have found over the last sort of eight weeks, are actually well and truly into their gardening. Is there such a thing of, as competitive bonsai? Can you actually compete internationally and take a specimen to a show and try and win gold? Uh, well, not so much in Australia, but look, there are bonsai shows in Australia and around Melbourne, I think there's probably a, at least five clubs that all have an annual show. And in some of those shows, there, there are best in shows, but they're, they're not really a very competitive environment. However, over in Europe and America and certainly J Japan, it is a lot more competitive and, yes, you, you can win gold 
particularly over in Europe these days, where there's a lot more young men get into bonsai, and young men are far more competitive. <laughs> Dale's but got a glint in his so eye. <laughs> Dale, <laughs> Dale. No, I, I've got no interest in competing in the bonsai <laughs> world, mate. I just, I, it's something nice for me, and I enjoy doing it. it used to be obviously before kids, I used to spend a lot more time with my bonsais, and I usually used to have probably. Um, Oh, I'd say an hour or so when I'd finished work before Sophie got home and I literally would take my shoes out, go out outside and stand on the grass and, and water and talk and shape and prune and wire my bonsais um, as a bit of me time with a with a stubby usually. So, um, yeah, it was good. I used to go out there and talk to the plants, Trev, and, uh, you know, have a good old time. I think you remember you talking to your plants. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> chilling out. That's a great way to chill out. <laughs> well, Prince Charles talks to his plants, Trevor, so why not talk to your bonsais? I'm sure that would have to affect their growth somehow. I talk to my plants all the time. Um, I find, find it far more engaging than talking to a lot of people. <laughs> well, they're bloody good listeners. I'll give them that. And they don't argue back very often, so they're uh, yeah, they're good friends. Hey, Trevor, if people would like to come in and see your nursery, Bonsai Art Nursery, how can we get in touch with you? Because I'm assuming you can set people up with their very first bonsai or talk serious stuff if they're looking to add to the collection. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jane. Um, they can give us a ring. Um, they can call me directly on my mobile, 0402 096 725, or they can simply come in and see us. We're at um, 236 Old Dandenong Road in Heatherton, which is just near Moorabbin Airport. I don't know if you can hear the planes going over We can. We yeah. can hear them. But we're yeah. open... Um, Okay, we're open five days a week. We're closed on a Tuesday and a Wednesday these days, but we're open every weekend from 10am to 3pm. It is very well worth going out there and having a look at Trev's nursery. And as as we've said, he's got everything from little starters in little pots that are quite inexpensive to really mature stuff that Trev's put a lot of work into over many years to... Um, to become really great bonsais. So, uh, and it's good fun. He keeps the nursery beautiful out there and you can uh, go and pick something for yourself or a, or a loved one as well. So um, a great gift. Thank you so much for being with us on the Sport of Gardening, Trevor. I'll see you soon because I think it's time for me to give up on the failures of the past mm. and start a new bonsai. Thanks for your time. <laughs> No worries. Thank you, Jane. Thanks, Dale. And so great, Dale, to learn about your passion for bonsai. <laughs> Have you got any tips as to where you might find some of these older trees and like perhaps there's little corners of the world where you might score an absolute bonsai bargain? Yeah, well, I, I mean, being a landscaper, Jane, I often work on a lot of yards and people want things removed. So I often take home plants that um, <laughs> that people want out and uh, cut the roots and cut the trunk right back as well and, and put it in a pot for a while and, and start to develop a bonsai structure on it. And um, so that's a bit of fun. If you're ever removing something, you can always keep it and try mm. and reuse it as a bonsai. I've got some really cool wisteria that I've actually done as bonsai that people wanted pulled out. So they make cool ones with beautiful flower interest, obviously, when they flower in spring. Yeah, gorgeous. Uh, and they've got nice thick trunks as well and old-looking gnarly wood. So it's a really good one. Um, and, yeah, if you go to a, if you're in a rural town or somewhere with a nursery that you think um, mightn't get many customers or sell much stock, I'm sorry to that nursery, but um, <laughs> I love to go into there and um, just hunt through the things that could have been there for years and years and unbought because often they've been trimmed back a million times already. So the base or the bulbous part of it um, is getting quite thick and then they're just um, trimming the new shoots. So uh, it's a good starter to get something that's a little bit thicker um, right from the start. Just don't tell them that you're there for a bonsai because no, they've I quadrupled do. the I, price. I do tell them that I'm going to 
to turn them into bonsais, but that's after I've got them on the counter and they've already <laughs> scanned them. So there you go. Oh, fantastic. I think there's a lot of people who uh, are going to have heard this and think, bonsai, it could just be the kind of gardening I could start with. And a great beginner's garden, Absolutely. I guess. Absolutely. I mean, and it's cool too. Like Mr Miyagi did it on Karate Kid, so it doesn't get much cooler than that. <laughs> Any reference to an 80s movie is fine <laughs> by me. You are on the sport of gardening and I'm Jane Neal with Dale Vine. We are doing it all thanks to Red Energy. Of course, you can switch to Red Energy today. They are powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, and you can give them a buzz on 131806. More to come right here on The Sport of Gardening. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. That weekly ritual of enjoying the AFL record is something footy fans have loved for over 100 years. And with the AFL record digital edition out now, the tradition continues. As footy fans, we can still get our footy fix even without the games. Enjoy feature articles from the AFL record analysts, regular footy trivia, a dedicated kids section, nostalgia and more. The AFL record digital edition. All thanks to Karcher. Available at sen.com.au and the SEN app. Welcome back to The Sport of Gun with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. It is time now for a tool review. This week, thanks to Cyclone Tools, built to last a lifetime, available at Bunnings Warehouse and leading hardware retailers. I'm going to admit that I have major tool envy right now, Dale, because you have the biggest, most functional-looking <laughs> rake. Yeah. Uh, no, it is, Jane. It's um, it's it's a new extra-wide leaf rake um, by Cyclone. Uh, and this thing, yeah, it does look like a, a big five-post bull bar on a, um, a nice country ute. Yeah, it's a ripper. Um, <laughs> All right, put the rake down so you can talk in the microphone, yes. Dale, because I can see Sorry, you're getting, getting a little, a little bit excited. excited. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you love about, like, as soon as you saw this one, you went, whoa. Well, size matters sometimes, Jake, uh, Jane, and it's, um, it does in this case with the Cyclone Extra Wide Leaf Race because it's tw- 45% uh, more leaves per sweep. That's what it's got written on here. So well, that's double your productivity almost. Yeah, and it's <laughs> 760 mil wide, which is actually, you can it's, you know, three quarters of a metre there. Um, and I think the best new design function about this is the fact that it's got like a, a big arched shape in it. So when you start uh, raking these big piles of leaves, especially this time of year, um, from all the autumn falls, you, you can actually gather a heap of leaves and pull them with the rake rather than I think in the past they were a bit flat and um, you sort of you definitely could rake the leaves, but once you got a big pile of them, you sort of had to get rid of it and go again. So with this one, you could still pull that pile uh, with a big arch for um, you know for meters and meters before it got too much. I'm not sure this is the one that I should give to the kids when I try and force them to rake my front yard because we've got a liquid amber tree in yep. our front garden. It is stunning. It's gorgeous. Yep. But I reckon we're about half a foot deep in leaves right now and I don't have the time to do it. That's a, I'm not going to say a man's rake, but that is a workout, that yeah, rake. If I get is, into uh, the garden with that, my shoulders are 
going to be so sore. <laughs> well, the, the rake itself is actually very lightweight, so it's a big looking thing, but it's um, it's very easy to fling around. So, um, no, I reckon you could get the kids on this, Jane, and uh, you know, earn a bit of pocket money and and earn a bit of mulch for the <laughs> for the veggie patch as well. Well, exactly. Have you heard of these things called leaf bags? I've been hearing about them that no. you actually put your leaves once you've raked them with the beautiful cyclone uh, extra wide rake. Yep. you can actually get these jute bags. So they're made out of jute cloth okay. or fibre. Yeah. Chuck all the leaves in the bag, stick them in the back of the garden, and they literally rot down in the bag. Ah. And they also rot like the actual bag you put it in rots as well. So there you go. tidy leaves done, and then they that? all just right down. I reckon my mum will order about <laughs> five of those immediately. <laughs> well, it is that time of the year where you really, really need to actually sort the garden out. Look, I joke that my, my garden is half a foot in leaves. What I have noticed is that when it rains, all the houses with slack people like me, yep. leaves are washing into the gutters yeah. and suddenly you've got these little mini floods across yeah, the road. you get a, a big waterfall coming <laughs> over the gutter. Yeah, so it's, it's a pretty common problem, I think. And uh, yeah, one that this rake would uh, sort out in no time, I'd imagine. So out of 10, thumbs up? Oh, I don't like rating things out of 10 because okay. all these things are very high up there on the 10 scale. <laughs> but uh, if you're going to rate it on size, it's a 10, Jane. Um, I haven't actually got to use this yet, but um, I might have to come to your house and try it out. I was going to say, I think it's time for us to go. Yeah. And I think it's cup of tea at my place and get raking. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you'd like to ask Dale a question for the show, you can uh, send us an email, feedback at sportofgardening.com.au. You can also check out at Viney D on Instagram. And if you've got any uh, projects that you might like a little hand with, I'm sure Dale can give some great advice. Of course, you can grab his book at any great bookstore. It's Dale Vine's Outdoor Reno Guide, Transform Your Garden on Any Budget. Thanks, Dale. It's been a lot of fun today. No, it's always fun, Jane. Thank you. <laughs> I've got an image of you getting invited down to Gary Lyons Golf Course to oh, talk gardening and do some mowing. Wouldn't so. that be good? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> I wonder how you get an invite down to Mr Gary Lyons' place. Mm. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you again next week. You're listening to the sport of gardening for Cyclone Tools built to last a lifetime. Trojan, tools built tough only at Bunnings Warehouse. And Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader.